0: The second line, no, I better not. I, you know, you, just, you can just push your luck so far, do you agree? And uh, it is a fact that I have damn little luck, so I better not start pushing it. So uh, stay tuned for the culture hour, gang. Once again, we delve into the life and times of, uh, of uh, oh, well, the hell? It slipped my mind. Well, speaking of uh, culture, if uh, I may bring that uh, bad subject up here on a Friday, you know with the weekend about to about to happen, uh, uh, already I can see uh, the excitement growing out there on the Jersey Turnpike. We can see the Jersey Turnpike, you know, from the uh, from the top of the building here, and you can just feel the pulsating passions of the Jersey natives out grazing on a Friday night you know that there's more bars per capita in one Jersey city one Jersey in New Jersey not Jersey City but one Jersey town right across the riverfront more bars per capita than any other city this side of the Mississippi did you know that what 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 town is it? <laughs> you have been there? you haven't been there well you know they now charge admission to the town I you know that when you come in there but that's, uh, you know, neither here nor there. I, speaking of culture, I, uh, and, uh, you know, speaking of talent, the other night uh, I started on a show, which I did not finish. I, I must, uh, it was too painful. I must uh, I must apologize to all of you out there who have written angry cards saying, when the hell are you going to finish the story? Uh, this was one story I could not finish. It was a story, do you remember, I, I referred glancingly to my experience uh, driving heavy equipment. And, uh, uh, yes, you call that well, you see, I, I uh you weren't around at that time. You were out there standing knee deep in the water off Chadwood Beach or someplace trying to see a wave. But uh I will tell you this. That uh that the story that came out last week about this guy driving his tank, was a PX. You read that story, the army the GI got bugged, and uh he drove his <laughs> he got a tank. About a seventy five ton tank. And he drove it through the TX, and then he ran over the uh, the uh, service club. He tried for one of the latrines, but they stopped him uh, before he could get there. I don't know how they stopped him—were these bazookas or what? Uh, wouldn't be easy to stop a guy in a seventy-five ton tank if he was really concentrated. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, if uh, if I may, uh, if I may uh, get back to the uh, subject here at hand, I, I this. You know, this is the first weekend, you know, of, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is the first summer weekend. I don't care what the official summer day is. What is it, the, the 21st? 21st of June is the first day of summer. Or oh, didn't you know that? The 22nd? The 7th. Did you think it was the 7th? Where the hell did you get that date? That's Pearl Harbor Day. I mean, you're confusing Arbor Day or something. <laughs> no, uh, the first day of actual summer is the 21st or the 22nd, right in that area. You know, it happens around 2 in the morning, something like that. But it's the 21st of June. And uh, the first day of spring was officially uh, March 21st or 22nd. So we're really officially in the spring. I'm talking about officially. Now, as far as I'm concerned, you know, when the first weekend of, of June hits, that's it, man, and uh, you can't you can't fight it. I mean, uh, I mean, you can just feel your, your, your the the pulse pick up in your veins. You realize, of course, you're an engineer. I'm not so sure that happens to engineers, uh, but the, 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 the you know the ordinary walking my human beings, it does. Uh, that the the pulse picks up, and I can feel the. Uh, sometimes I feel like my veins are just. Charged and filled with Dad's old-fashioned root beer, you know. Which since kids are up at this hour, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it is the beginnings of June, and I'll never forget uh, what happened to me. This every time I, you know, I get this heady feeling because the idea of of mobility, getting out and going, hits the human being like a tornado in the spring. You have that feeling that you want to go. You re- it's. It's, it's built into the race. You know, there's a theory, and uh, and uh, I'll throw this theory out to you. There is a theory, because we're part of the animal kingdom, you know. And uh, there's two kinds, really, roughly categorized. There's many different categories in the animal, animal world. But there's two types of animal, roughly categorized. And one is the nomadic animal, the animal that literally moves over its range, uh and and spends most of its lifetime in movement and then there's the other the the sedentary or stationary animal which when it's born it lives and dies like within 20 feet of where it was born you know those are two types of animals now uh, for example the the grizzly bear is definitely a moving animal. He will move over a great vast area. So is the elephant. They will be. They will clock him over hundreds of miles. The elephant is always moving. Uh, and 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 there is a theory that man, in his very earliest inception, the very earliest, uh, before he was even man, you know, before he, you know, before he invented all these great cultural things like uh, the Merv Griffin show and all you know, the stuff that really shows he's he's civilized. Uh, before all this stuff happened, he was basically a nomadic creature by instinct. He had to keep moving over his range uh, to keep looking for food and to keep doing whatever it is he had to do to keep alive. And he moved. And he moved uh, without any uh, conscious will. He was was moving by instinct. It's like the geese. The geese don't sit around, you know, and say, Gee, you know, kind of nice to take a 2,000-mile trip. Uh, What do you say we all take a flight down to the Everglades? (laughs) <laughs> they, they do it by instinct. All of a sudden, the goose finds himself in the middle of the air with his wings flapping, and he's going. And he can't stop. Well, this uh, this is a, a theory about man, that uh, at this time of the year, he gets an intense urge. This time of the year, and in the fall, those two times, he gets an intense urge to move, either to move back or forth. Now, in the fall, he gets an insane urge to uh, to move to the, in, in a sense, to the nest, he's almost like a, a hibernating animal, like the bear. So uh, people people go in the summertime, and if you notice, that immediately following, almost like like somebody pulled a, a shade. It's, it's eerie. If you go to places like Maine, uh, I spent a lot of time in Maine. You go to Maine, and the summertime, you know, people come up to Maine. Uh, all kinds of people from uh, all over the country come up to Maine. And uh, it's beautiful. The weather is fantastic. And then all of a sudden, it's Labor Day. Labor Day hits. Like say, Labor Day is on a Monday. We'll say for argument's sake. And there's a whole crowd of people. The next morning, the state is empty. You've seen that happen. It's fantastic. Uh, it's 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 just like uh, some kind of a switch has been pulled, and and the entire state empties out. Just bam, nobody there. Well, now if you're smart and you want to go to Maine, the obvious thing to do is to go the two weeks or three weeks following Labor Day, which in so that they are the most beautiful parts of the year up there. But nobody's there, absolutely nobody. I mean, you can you can uh, you know, you could shoot a shotgun right down the main street of most of those little coastal tourist towns and not even hit a postcard seller. You know, there's nothing. Well. This, this is the instinct to flee back. <laughs> it's, it's, it's overwhelming. And so the whole crowd, just like a great vast herd of geese, they rise in the air and they start flapping the wings on their Pindos and their Chevy station wagons, and they flap all the way back to the Bronx, wherever they came from, you know. So the urge to go out is really, it's instinctive. And I actually was the victim of this instinctual behavior one time and it involved heavy equipment now that that uh, gi that drove that tank i understand that problem now to those of you who've never been close to heavy equipment really close to it will will have no idea what i'm talking about and uh and i'm not even directing this at you i'm talking about the the uh the the curious magnetic pull that say a gigantic bulldozer has on you, you ever know been the next to really a big one, you can hear it pulsing, and boom, 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 and you can feel the ground shake under that enormous 600 horsepower diesel engine, boom, 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 boom. you feel the heat radiating from it, and way at the top is this, is this leather seat. And it's this, this big, flat, black steering wheel with those, those great big knobs sticking out of the dashboard up <laughs> and, and, and you, get, you get this feeling, you know, i just like to get up there and sit in that seat once and just throw that baby in gear, just drive it off. Well, most of us spend our lives as spectators, and I feel sorry for the spectators. To me, the, 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 the world can be divided into two groups, the spectators and the doers. And if you're a spectator, you never understand how it feels to be a doer. Uh, if you're in the audience, you don't understand how it feels to be on the stage. And in fact, uh, working a great deal on stages, I've never been able to explain to people what the feeling is, say, to stand before 2,000 people at Carnegie Hall all by yourself, and you're going to make them laugh when you're up there, they've come to make... To be to be amused and you're up on the stage with the lights on you and it's up to you to do it now that is a feeling you cannot express to anybody else no way uh even the fact that you were in the oral hygiene pageant uh, in third grade is not at all the same <laughs> not at all when you see the lines of people out by the box office and you see your name up on the light, and you see the posters out there, and then you hear the music, and now it is 8.15, and you've got to get out there, you know. And the band starts playing. Yes, sir. A lot of The crowd starts cheering out there. Ah! Yeah! Yeah! And there you are. You're standing down on the wings, see? you got this makeup all over you, and the lights are flashing off and out on, on the stage, which means the stagehands are getting a little bit nervous. They want to see this damn show get going because they got a strong union. It's a hell of a lot stronger than yours, you better get out there now. the bed, play it. And you go out there, you know, you start doing your shovel. Like, you, you take your straw hat, you dip it. Yes, sir. That's my baby. That don't mean baby. Yes, sir. That's my baby. Now, a the crop. That's her. <laughs> that's a feeling. <laughs> I tell you. Well, I, 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 I uh, you kind of like that. You really that in there. That was kind of good, you know. Yes, no, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, don't don't mean baby. Or you know. Well, anyway, uh, I uh, I think that one of the great, uh, uh, I, and I'm not, I'm not pro-army, I'm not pro-war, I must hasten to tell you this, but one of the great byproducts, and it is a great one, and I'm not saying a good one or a bad one, a great one, a large one, I'm using it in that sense, byproducts of having been in any of the armed services, is most guys are suddenly forced to become... Doers rather than audience, <laughs> and and that to to a, to a guy who's a natural audience type, this is an unconscionable problem. You know, he he's not used to having to do things, uh, but uh, you do in the army or the navy or the Marine Corps or whatever you are in, and you do things you would never have the opportunity to ever possibly do. For example, not many guys have ever had actual instruction. Uh, very detailed and technical instruction on how to say fire a heavy caliber long range rifle to best effect. Either of you? Have you ever had actual qualified technical instruction, long practice on a rifle range on how to really do it? Most people just you know they learn how to. Some their father shows them how to fire a gun or something. This is another story. I'm talking about technically done. So that you know, you can lay uh, uh, you can lay out of ten uh, shots you can lay seven of them right in the middle right in the bull you know at uh, at 300 yards which is shooting that's what you have to do now another thing too uh, can you uh, uh, can you honestly say that you have instructions on say uh, how to fire a uh, 50 caliber flexible machine gun which fires a slug that weighs about a pound and a half. <laughs> bow, 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 bow. I mean, when you're behind that baby, and, and uh, you know, you, you start to operate those, uh, those, uh, those, they have squeeze triggers on that thing, and you start firing it, you see those tracers going way out to sea, and way out there at the end of those tracers, there's a boat that's towing a target four miles out to sea, and you're putting it right in those rings, gun gun, 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 You see those tracers, uh, whoo, now, you're no, you're no longer watching a movie. Now, that's all different. See, so one day, did you know that the Army has its own, and I'm talking about all the armed forces, has its own driver's licenses? Did you know that? Uh-huh, now you're going to learn something. You do not just walk up and drive a Jeep, show them your driver's license from Queens. No way. No, I'm serious. When you go into the armed forces and, and you're going to drive any type of equipment that you that is, is around and you see in the movie you see tanks you see all this kind of stuff you have to have a GI issued certificate which proves conclusively and and you've been tested that you can in fact operate this and are qualified to operate it and are legally entitled to operate it if the condition arises they don't just jump into a tank and start driving it. no way now what do you th- what do you think a GI driver's license looks like well you don't just get a driver's license. I must must explain something to you about that. In other words, if you get a driver's license, a civilian driver's license, it doesn't say on it what kind of car you can drive, does it? It just says operator, motor vehicle operator. period. Now that means you can drive anything from a Mac truck. you shouldn't, but you can. Uh, if you drive it for your own car, you could. <laughs> I mean if you yes, you could. Yeah, you, if, if you run a Mack truck that was your own private vehicle and you went to the store with it, didn't use it for commercial purposes, you could drive it. Did you know that? Well, I'm telling you. that, uh, and, and you can drive a motorcycle, you can drive almost anything, merely because it says uh, motor vehicle uh, operator. Now, in some states, they've said, no, you have to take a special license for a driver to drive a motorcycle. But that's only recent. Now, nobody's going to say to you, well, since you learn how to drive in a Pinto, which is a small car, or a Volkswagen that you can't drive a 400 horsepower Corvette now you agree they are very different types of vehicles you realize you know you realize that that, that, that driver's license gives you the right theoretically to drive say a uh, Maserati which is basically a European race car capable of 175 mile an hour speeds and you may have never driven anything more potent than a VW. But you could get right in that Maserati and legally turn it on and start driving. Now today, this is a, this is you know really really uh, really a fantastic risk that a lot of people take. However, in the army they don't do this. So you get a driver's license. It's a folder, and it's it's it folds, and it's uh, it's big enough. Uh, it's a fairly. It's almost the same size. Well, it really is the same size as your driver's license, except that it has two sheets and it folds and it's blue. At least uh, they were blue when I got mine. Uh Yeah, I'm messing around the company area one day, which is wrong. You should never do this. I'm just messing around, you know, fat, dumb, and happy, walking in and out of the day room. When a head pops out of of the orderly room, which is the main office of a company, head pops out, and it says, Sergeant. He says, Hey, come here. Come here, you. Come on over here. Yeah, I mean you, the PFC. Come on. Well... There I am. See, so you don't, you don't say, well, I'm on my way to, to my guitar lesson, or something like that. You do, you come. So I turn around, I come into the office. To, <laughs> and there's the sergeant, and he's he's sitting in a typewriter, and he says, uh, he says, uh, uh give me a name." That's "The Shepherd, J.P." One six zero nine eight nine four six. What the hell is he? He's typing away. See, he said, "How long you been in grade?" I said, what do you mean, how long have I been a PFC? He said, yeah, well, yeah, don't get smart with me. How long have you been in grade? I said, 17 months. <laughs> this is a sore point with me. 17 months already a PFC. as was a bug, you know. So uh, he says, so what company in? I said, what company i here in? I'm this company. Oh, he says, that's good. All right, company can. And he says, Bruh. he rips this thing out, and uh, he, he goes into the next office which, by the way, is where the CO was. And uh, he's in there for about eight and a half milliseconds, and he comes back out. And now he's got this thing he's been typing, and it's signed by the CO. And he hands it to me. He says, here's your GI driver's license. So I want you to get on a motor pool. He so I want you to get qualified the following uh, vehicles. Uh, I've got them typed up here. You take them down, get to the sergeant motor pool, and you will get qualified in them vehicles. I expect you back here by 1530. Once you see back here by 15 i'm going to call a motor pool and don't you try goofing off because they is expecting you right all right now on your way buddy what the hell you know out, out in the street i go and i look at this blue thing and it's it's it says gi driver's license you know and there it was i've never gotten one of these before and i got to go onto to the motor vehicle and in a sealed envelope was the list of vehicles i was to be uh, uh put put through the paces on see i could drive I mean, what the hell it's gonna be great down the street I go, I go all the way down, I turn right, and I go about 19 blocks down through the camp, and there's the motor pool. Well, now, the motor pool is a, is a great big, what it is, is a great big lot filled with this fantastic array of incredible stuff, and about 19 very really tough guys who are at the motor pool, toughest guys in the Army, motor pool guys. And uh, I go up to the gate there, and there's a MP there. They don't let you in this place, you know, it's very highly uh, guarded, so I walk up to the gate there. And, he says, uh, You've you got uh, any business here, buddy? And I says, I do. I to see, uh, I'm to see I'm see Sergeant, and, and I'll tell you the name. I'll invent the name to protect the innocents Sergeant Schultz, right? I said, I'm here to see Schultz. He says, All right, hold on a minute. What did you say your name was? And I said, Shepard JP, 16098946, PFC. And he says, All right. He goes into the little gate makes a phone call he comes back out he says all right go on right out past he says he's past them two and a half tonners right down there turn right and you'll see his shack so here are his trucks all parked well i get down to the little shack and sitting in there is schultz and he's surrounded by clipboards and and uh, cans of grease and he, you know he looks like a mechanic you know and he's got a old pair of battered fatigues on with stripes he's a buck sergeant i walk in and Schultz says, well, let me take a look at the list yeah see we got you here for a jeep two and a half tonner one and a half ton troop carrier and by God a half track because I got you down here for a half track he said what what the hell are they going to use a half track down at company came for?" I said look sergeant it's I, I don't I don't I don't make up for this sergeant please so at that point he says wait a minute I'm gonna check so he picks up the phone and he calls Kowalski back at the company. And he says, hey, Kowalski, i got a guy down here that says he's supposed to learn how to drive a half-track. And he heard a blah, 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 blah on the phone. He said, well, what, the, what are you guys going to use a half-track at company came for? What do you need a half-track for? He said, well, look, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll take him out. I'll qualify him on a half-track. But if anything happens, don't come back and, and complain to me, right? Okay. I'll see you, Butch. He hangs up. He says, "Well, we might as well start with a half track." So we go out. I'm talking about the motor pool, Jimmy. How I got qualified in the half track. So we walk out of the out of the shack, and and he says, "Come on down to down to the half track yard." So we walk on down. We turn right. We pass all the jeeps. We go past all the pale trucks and all the two and a half is and all the troop carriers and one and a half wheelers. And yeah, I could. Here's the half track. Their demonstration half-track. Now, for those of you who don't know, you've seen a half-track, Jimmy? For those of you who do not know a half-track, if I drove a half-track down 6th Avenue, I would sink in up to the hubs <laughs> just from the weight. It is a monster. It's a, it, well, What it is, it's, it's, it's a half 45-ton truck attached to the front end of what looks like a tank. It's a tank in the back. You've seen half This thing is a monster. So I immediately started to get excited. See, I'm going to learn how to drive this thing. So he says, all right. He says, I'm going to get up in the in the, in the, the, the operator's, they don't call it the driver's seat and get thing like that. He says, I'm going to get up in the operator's slot. You go on to the other side. He says, and watch what I do, and you got to be careful. You, you, you've got a driver's license, kid. And I said, yeah, I do. I drive. He says, all right, let's go. And we got up to the top of this thing, and I look out, and it's look, I'm looking down from about a five-story building. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the tops of the giant trucks. I'm looking right down at him. Yeah. So he says, all right, here we go. So he bought nine different switches. He throws on the panel of this thing. It's got all these flat black meters all over. And it goes. I said, oh, my God, listen to the sound. He said, don't get excited. That's just a starter. He said, that's just the starter motor. And then, boom, it started. I mean, that bridge stretched out in front of me about the length of a 100-yard football field. And you could see it had big pipes, big diesel pipes coming out of either side of it. You know those big mufflers Jimmy's sticking out on either side of it with those big exhaust pipes? It's jiggling. I see the flint. The whole horizon is jiggling around me. And he says, all right, you got your strap on, buddy? I said, yeah! He's right! Here we go! He shifted, and we start to move over the cloud. And you hear the big track, the big clanking track behind me going. We're running over both sides. And now we're heading for a big open vacant field. It's nothing but gravel. He says, All right, this thing will spin in its own way. He says, what's this. You operate the various. Each one of them tracks back there operate separately. You hear me? It ain't like driving a car. I pull the left lever and the left, the left track stops. I pull the right lever, the right one stops. Push it forward and it goes. That's where you turn. Here we go. Come! We spin around. I see the clouds going around me. Well, five minutes later, he says, "Get in the seat. It's your turn." and i strapped myself in and i grabbed those levers, and i started to move those things back and forth i moved them back and forth and i started to feel the power of this fantastic machine running through my my very veins through my nerve endings and under that beautiful june sun i drove a half track for two hours up and down, doing figure eights back and forth, running up and down. Survival, course. Up, These things will go straight up a brick wall and straight down a cliff. And after was all well, he says, you know, you're pretty good, kid. Not bad. This is the uh, 25 tonner. That'll be nothing after this. You know, you're not bad. You should have gone into the armored. I said, why? Oh, and he wrote on my GI license qualified to operate, under any and all conditions, a 37-ton half-track. Going right in there, signed his name, and I went back to the company. And from that minute on, I used to sit in the barracks, you know, and talk about the days when I was driving all that armored equipment. You know, I had that smile on my face of a man who's looked into it. He's really looked into the vortex of hell itself, and he knows what it's about. He's sitting right there. So some days when I get out on the Jersey Turnpike and I see that traffic lined up ahead of me and there's a big traffic jam, I just feel the itch to get behind the levers of a half, one of these big half tracks and just flatten all the traffic from here to Twin. So I just put in gear and just sit up there, way up on top and look down over the Jersey, the Jersey landscape. I've never in the same thing. As then. You know, there's such an arrogance in me. The arrogance of a man who's operated a half train.